This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. The myths we used for this story involve graphic violence, child cruelty, and sexually suggestive situations. Please exercise caution for all listeners under 13. Cronus saw none of the battlefield. He spent 10 years sitting on his throne as the war between titans and gods raged across the earth. He refused all company, choosing to stew in his own failure. In spite of his best efforts, his children had escaped and brought utter ruin to his empire. His body was a wreck, loose flaps of skin and long desiccated muscles. His eyes were hollow and stared off at nothing in particular. An immortal being had never looked like they needed sleep as much as Cronus did. It was almost a relief when Zeus finally burst through his door, freshly forged lightning bolts crackling between his fingers. Stand down, father. Your reign is over. Father? (laughs) I was father to a stone. He was less ungrateful child than you have been. Your armies are defeated. Yield! I have yielded. I yielded the day Rhea gave birth to you. Then you accept your defeat? I accept nothing. I want you to look me in the eye and tell me you wouldn't have done the same in my position. I do not have your appetites, father. Then you will be a weaker ruler than I ever was. Cronus grinned as he saw his son's eyes crackle with rage. This was the moment he'd been waiting for. He would lay the same curse on Zeus that his father, Uranus, had bestowed on him. 
and watch with glee as his grandchildren brought about the fall of these new gods. He opened his mouth and was struck by a sudden burst of lightning. His throne exploded behind him and he flew backwards, nerves screaming in pain. He smashed into the wall and slid to the floor, limbs limp and useless. Were you saying something, father? You will fall. No one rules forever. This wasn't coming out right at all. The prophecy of Uranus had been clear and purposeful, a final blow in a battle. His words felt weak and impotent against the fiery gaze of Zeus, more like a churlish complaint than a prophecy. Cronus finally found his voice again and spoke with more conviction, but the words that tumbled out from his mouth were not what he expected. Savor this victory while you can. You will be a ruler unlike any the cosmos has ever seen. But your children will resent you. You will sire many, but be a father to no one. <laughs> I have no words left for you, father. May you enjoy the prison you furnished for your own brothers. The once all-powerful Titan was dragged, limp and ragged, down the slopes of Mount Othrys. Cronus saw that the traitors had gathered in the fields to watch his final humiliation. Most of their faces were strange to him, but all were his kin. He saw Prometheus, the know-it-all Titan who irritated him so much, and Metis, the Titaness with more brains than integrity. Hate for all of them clouded his vision and was dispelled like fog on a summer morning when he saw Rhea in the crowd. Her expression, which had once been like an open book to him, was unreadable. Was there any of their former love behind those eyes, or was Cronus truly dead to her now? Cronus blanched with shame. She had told him how to avoid this prophecy. If his love had been stronger than his fear, he might have listened. As the eternal dark of Tartarus closed around him, Cronus wept for the first time in a thousand years. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. Today is the second part in our Mythology Father's Day special. Last week, we told the story of Zeus's father, Cronus the Titan. Cronus overthrew his own father, then began to fear that his children would do the same to him. He swallowed them all, only for Zeus to escape his wrath and return to free his siblings. In this episode, we're finishing the story of Zeus and Cronus. Zeus has successfully overthrown his father, but uncertainty lingers in his mind. There's no guarantee that he will be a better ruler than Cronus, and like his father, he could be vulnerable to his own ambitious children. 
After the fall of the Titans, the Olympian pantheon held sway over the universe, becoming a dominant force in popular culture for centuries afterward. But one thing that's not often explored in stories of antiquity is how the transition between the age of the Titans and the age of the gods actually worked. Once the new rulers of the universe took the Titans' place, it was as if the Olympians had always been there. And there were plenty of characters whose appearances in Greek mythology essentially end after Zeus ascends. Rhea, mother of the gods, and Metis, Zeus's first wife, are important figures in the Titanomachy. But once the Titans are deposed, their roles in Greek mythology dwindle. Metis, in particular, falls victim to Zeus's ascendancy. Olympus was quiet in the night, a looming obelisk darker than the sky behind it. A mountain goat struggled up the sheer cliff face, unusually high for such an animal. The goat sighed. If he wanted, he could leap to the top of the mountain in an instant, but doing so would cause too much of a stir. Sparks crackled from Zeus's horns as he placed one hoof after the other. He should have stayed until dawn. This was an awkward and uncomfortable way to return home, as the god of thunderstorms, stealth was not his forte. Zeus returned to his natural shape at the gates of Olympus. When his sandals touched the rock, a distant boom of thunder rolled through the sky. He winced, but no one stirred. With a sigh of relief, he strode confidently into his bedchamber, disrobed and prepared for rest. A shadow stirred by the window. His heart sank when he realized who it was. The sky was quiet tonight. I did not mean to wake you. You did not. I was waiting for you. Or at least to hear the sound of the storm you were out all night brewing. Listen, my love. Some storms require more than a night of preparation. <laughs> I am not a fool, Zeus. Do you think me blind to your dalliances? It has been over ten years since I was your sole companion, my husband. I see how your eye wanders. Do you think I would lavish my attentions on others when I have a titaness as my queen? I would not be so selfish as to think I am sufficient for your desires. I merely want you to consider that your father... Do not speak his name! Your father only took one wife and had no other children besides you and your siblings. Are you implying I lack the moral character of Cronus? I... I only mean to imply that you're being a fool. Our marriage bed has been cold for too long, and I know it is not because you lack the stamina. Consider my desires as well as yours, unless you want me bearing children by your siblings. Do not speak so rudely. Your father was overthrown by six children. Are you trying to raise an army of bastards against yourself? There is no prophecy saying I will endure the same fate as my father. Not yet. Before Zeus could retort, Metis swept out of the room, disappearing into the night. Zeus did not follow. Rage bubbled in his belly like lava. By marrying him, she had become the most powerful woman in the cosmos. While her brothers and sisters languished in Tartarus, she was free to go where she liked, to do anything she wanted. She should have been more grateful. 
The fury in his belly subsided. As much as he hated to admit it, his rise was due to her cleverness, her strategy. She was as much to credit for his victory as his five siblings. Zeus did not sleep that night. He sat on his bedside, thinking. His wife was a titan. Though they had experienced many pleasures together, she had not conceived. When she did so, would the child be bent against his father's will, like he had been with Cronus? How could he be sure that any children she bore him would be loyal and not exceed him in raw power? But there was nothing to be done. She was the titan of wisdom. She would see through any ploy on his part or any attempt to deceive her. As the soft pink of sunrise touched the dawn, Zeus finally realized what he had to do. The one way he could keep his wife from bearing children, the one way he could deceive the goddess of deceit. He would have to take an action she didn't think him capable of. When Metis returned, Zeus was waiting for her. He wore on his face an expression of warmth and contrition, believable because it was crafted from true guilt, but not guilt for his numerous affairs, guilt at what he planned to do. Have you reconsidered the error of your ways? I have. Forgive me. I often bore of routine. When I first fell for you, our passion was new and dangerous. Now it is safe. It is only safe because you lack creativity. There is more than one way to make love, my husband. If it is still love you feel for me. Of course it is. Ah, I cannot tell if you speak truly. Most likely because you yourself cannot tell the difference between love and lust. Do not be so unfair, Metis. My desire for you is as strong as ever. Prove it. I will. We have coupled together many times in our godly forms, but birds and beasts have just as much passion in their respective forms, yes? True. Then let us change shapes together. Let us explore the breath of pleasure that exists between the creatures of the Earth. Intrigued by Zeus's strange request, Metis consented. Zeus began by changing his shape into that of a stag, letting his robes fall to the floor. Metis followed suit, and soon the pair of them were entwined in a tangle of limbs, horns, and hooves. As their passion grew, their appearances changed shape freely between all kinds of animals. In an instant, they went from a pair of stags to a pair of wolves, to swans with their necks wrapped tightly around each other. They dove into the sea to continue their tryst as dolphins, whales, and sharks, and burst out of the waves to take the shape of writhing serpents. Try as he might, Zeus could not help but lose his focus in the sheer intensity of their play together. His ecstasy rose, and then a moment of clarity struck. His mind snapped back to his original task. He changed from an egret into a honeybee and then into the smallest fly. Metis followed suit, shrinking down to the size of an insect. Then, without warning, Zeus returned to his godly shape and size and swallowed Metis whole. 
he felt her dart about his insides, buzzing and scratching his stomach horribly with her insect legs. A moment later, she was still. Zeus came to rest back on Olympus. His limbs trembled from exertion. His heart pounded like a drum. But he could finally breathe easy. Metis would not bear him any children who could dethrone him. He finally went to sleep, confident that he had avoided his father's fate. Coming up, Zeus attempts to learn how to be a good parent to his children. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. The transition between the rule of the Titans and the rule of Olympus required some degree of sacrifice. Though he was now ruler of the universe, Zeus feared his power was not to last. His first wife, Metis, had the potential to give birth to children even more powerful than him. To keep this from happening, he swallowed the Titaness when she was in the form of a fly. Besides Metis, only a handful of Titans survived the transition. These included Rhea and Prometheus. Prometheus would be punished for his own transgressions against the gods, but that's another story. In certain myths, there were other stragglers from the Titan side of the war who had not been imprisoned in Tartarus. Yet at this point in the story, they had escaped Zeus's notice. Zeus was preoccupied by his rapidly growing family. Dark clouds swirled about Zeus. He held a lightning bolt in each hand, a joyous grin upon his face. He had no targets today. He just wanted to exercise his power. The king of the heavens hurled a bolt through the sky, watching the weapon flash as it lanced between two clouds. The years after he swallowed Metis were a relief. He was free to go where he liked and do what he liked without worrying that his wife would bear children powerful enough to depose him. Shortly thereafter, Zeus found himself another wife. Her name was Hera. She was another of Cronus's children, and her noble beauty entranced him. She was full of vigor and defiance, but was drawn in by his raw power. She bore him a child who they named Hephaestus. He was strong and grew to be a skilled smith. Hera was not a relic from the age of the Titans like Metis was, and moreover, her domain was matrimony. Zeus could trust her to remain faithful and stand by her husband's decisions. This confidence was shaken, however, when Hera found out about a nursery Zeus had set up at the peak of Mount Ida and a crib there that held a child of her husband's born outside of their marriage. Hera confronted him on this mountain, staring at her husband as he knelt over the bassinet. Explain to me why you did this. Hera, you must understand. 
a god of great power cannot be contained by one marriage? Then a god of such power should not have been married in the first place. I was swept up in passion. I apologize for what I have done. This child can be ours, as if my transgression never happened. Who was its mother? His mother did not survive childbirth. You are lying. Hera, this child is blameless. Rejoice in the fact that we have an heir at last. What about our son? You know I love Hephaestus dearly, but he has no ambition to be more than a craftsman. Zagreus will be a ruler just like we are. Zeus was unsettled by Hera's mask-like expression. They had shared every joy and victory together for years and years. Surely she would be happy for him. But no cajoling could get her to step any closer to the child than necessary. She would not hold him in her arms and would not even smile at the child's gleeful laugh. She left Zeus alone with the child and his thoughts, returning to Olympus without so much as a parting word. What's the matter, Zagreus? I know. She will learn to love you, little one. Trust me. But doubt began to prick at Zeus's mind. Was he doing something wrong? Surely it would be crueler to let Zagreus grow up without a father. His mother, Persephone, was too busy helping Demeter with the harvest. He could not force her to raise this child. As these thoughts crossed Zeus's mind, they were followed by a white-hot shard of pain. Zeus fell to the floor screaming. All thought was wiped from his mind by waves of agony, as if there was a blacksmith hammering at the inside of his skull. He writhed and flung his arms out in all directions, tearing chunks off of Mount Olympus in mindless suffering. Soon, the pain cooled to a dull throbbing, and Zeus stilled, sweat pooling on the floor beneath him. When he rose to his feet again, his head felt uncomfortably heavy. His thoughts were scattered, confused. He could not fall ill. What was happening to him? Had he been poisoned like Cronus was? That didn't seem possible either. In his confusion, Zeus found himself wondering if this was a feeling all new fathers just learned to live with, splitting headaches and disinterest from their wives. His pride would not allow him to ask his siblings for advice. There was only one who would understand his fears and whose advice might help him. With a shiver, Zeus donned a disguise and traveled down to the earth, into the deepest realm of the underworld. Even Zeus's eyes could not see in the dark. He conjured a small lightning bolt, no larger than a splinter, to illuminate his way. Rivers of silver ore laced the cave walls like glistening spiderwebs. He heard cries and grunts of pain from within the inescapable cells of Tartarus. But it wasn't anything he saw that told him he had reached the right place. It was the stench, the unmistakable smell of bile and burned hair, a scent he hadn't smelled since he stood on the peak of Mount Othrys. You have a visitor, Cronus. Come to free your father from this pit. <laughs> yes, 
I see through that meager disguise. Your time of being hidden from my gaze is over. You cannot hate me forever, father. I did what I had to do. I do not hate you, child. I have no opinions on you whatsoever. You are a puppet of prophecy, and nothing more. I am your son. Surely you would not turn away the first conversation you have had since your imprisonment. If you are here to gloat, you certainly have a strange way of going about it. Not at all, father. I am here for advice. The stone wall before Zeus went quiet for a moment. Then a great crash sounded from the other side. The earth around Zeus shook mightily. A crack ran from the ceiling and stopped when it reached the rock in front of him. The wall split just wide enough to reveal an eye peering out of the wall. Its pupil was so wide, the eye itself was almost entirely black, shimmering in the light from Zeus's hands. Have you heard a prophecy as well? My reign is not like yours, father. I will see the world prosper. And you will avoid directly answering my questions. I have children. Children who are free and do not fear their father. Zeus felt his skull give a pulse of pain, but he shook it off. Zeus gave his father a curt nod. He turned and walked back up the dark staircase he came in from. He extinguished his lightning bolt as the gloomy light of the upper levels of the underworld returned. The pressure in his skull was building horribly. He could feel the plates of bone straining against his skin, like something was fighting to get out. When he returned to Mount Ida, Zeus was greeted with a dreadful sight. The crib Zeus had laid Zagreus on earlier that night was split down the middle. The small bed within had been thrown to the floor, the blankets laying in tatters all around them. Drops of rose-colored blood glinted off the floor like rubies. Zeus clenched his jaw. His vision swam with the beginnings of tears. He called for Hera, his cry echoing off the mountains until it reached all the way back to their home. Almost immediately, Hera was by his side, an expression of confusion on her face. What is it? Look! Our son has vanished! I came here to see him and found only ruin! Did you hear any strange sounds or commotion come from this peak? I was on Olympus. I heard nothing. What enemies do we have that would stoop so low? Perhaps it was the Titans. They are all imprisoned in Tartarus. Not all. Some managed to flee your wrath and hide in the wilderness. How do you know this? I was brought word of it this morning. I did not wish to see you upset when you look so happy at your son's arrival. By this point, all of Olympus had gathered to see the desecrated mountain peak. Zeus was about to speak, to give some command, when a crack split the base of his skull and he dissolved into screams. Black spots danced in front of his eyes, blotting out his vision. The Olympians around him looked on in concern. Hushed whispers leapt between them. What sort of power could level their great father like this? Was this yet another trick from the Titans to remove Zeus from his throne? 
Writhing on the floor, muscles tightening and releasing in spasms, Zeus cried out a single command. Hephaestus! I need your strength! Hephaestus hurried to his father's side. The smith's confused expression was answered by more screams of agony from Zeus. Noticing that Zeus was clawing at his head, Hephaestus brought over a hammer and a chisel. There was only one way to relieve the terrible pressure. The other gods turned Zeus over so he lay face down on the floor. As they held Zeus in place, Hephaestus aligned the chisel with the base of Zeus's skull. He raised his hammer and brought it down. The pressure at the back of Zeus's skull vanished. He felt a sensation like a mighty wind rushing through the gap in his head. Before he could see what it was, he fell unconscious. Zeus meets his new heir after this. Now back to the story. Zeus awoke in darkness with a bandage around his head. Disoriented, he tried to remember what brought him here, but his thoughts were like insubstantial shreds of cloud, impossible to grasp for more than a few moments. He remembered his son Zagreus, stolen away in the night. He remembered pain, a searing headache that brought even the mightiest god to his knees, pressure that only a split skull could release. All else was a blur. The room around him was pitch dark, without a soul stirring to help him remember. A small flame rose in the gloom, illuminating a woman sitting by his side. His heart leapt when he recognized his wife, Hera. Her expression was stern. If she was happy to see him wake, she did not show it. What happened? Where did the others go? To war. The war is over. Do you not remember? Titans kidnapped your son, Zagreus. The others have gone to fetch him back. I should be leading them. They have a leader. Your daughter. My... who? The woman who sprung from your skull. She claimed to be the daughter of your first wife. She was fully armored and ready to do battle. Did you see none of this? Zeus put a hand to his temple. He had not known how to be a father. The only father he had was his sworn enemy, Cronus. And unwittingly, he had followed in Cronus's footsteps. He let his fear get the better of him and swallowed his first wife whole in order to prevent her from birthing a child more powerful than he. And now, Metis's child had been born anyway. Would she attempt to depose him like he had done for Cronus? I will leave you to rest. No, Hera, please. Do not abandon me. Tell me where they went so I may go and fight by their side. I do not know. You shall simply have to wait for their return. Hera's candle winked out, and her footsteps receded into the dark, Zeus was left alone, wondering what his fate would be when his daughter returned. Zeus's head still ached as he sat on his throne in Olympus, but he would not leave it, 
he had to be ready to face his fate. Days went by, the sun rose and set, horrible visions of what could happen played out in his mind. Maybe his new daughter would so resent her father that she would turn Zagreus against him and the two of them would return to wreak vengeance. As his fears subsided, they were replaced with an iron spike of suspicion. Something was wrong about the abduction. Those titans that still roamed free were not the most powerful, nor the wisest. They would not have the craft to locate the child's hiding place without raising the alarm. Someone had told them where to find Zagreus. His father's words floated into his mind unbidden. Your first mistake was to let your wife know of the child's existence. She will do everything in her power to destroy it. Hera, I desire to speak with you. What do you want? Ambrosia or wine for the pain? No, the pain is fine. I have a question for you. What is it? Where were you when our child was kidnapped? Your child. Those two words are as good as a confession. You think I kidnapped your son? You resented the fact that he was my son, did you not? That I was giving him preference over our other children. I love you, my husband. I would not want to hurt you. But you would let the Titans hurt me. Do you want to know where I was the night Zagreus vanished? I assumed you were with some mortal woman. I visited father. You did not! It is true. I begged him to tell me what I was doing wrong, how to be a better father for my children. He had a proposition for me, a game of sorts. If you attempted to harm the child, I was to set him free. If you didn't, he would stay. You had no right to make that bargain! I trusted you to be an honorable wife. <sighs> an unfaithful husband should never expect his wife to be honorable. Then you were behind our son's kidnapping? For the last time, he is not our son! Hera finally confessed. When she heard her husband depart, she went to Mount Ida and visited the infant. He was sweet and innocent, but she could not love him. In his rosy cheeks and clumsy movements, she saw her husband's betrayal. She saw a bastard child as the heir to Olympus. It was no easy feat getting the message to Hyperion and the other Titans, but I was willing to achieve the impossible to see you hurt. I know not what they intend to do with him, but I do not care. I am glad to have removed that thorn from our family. Zeus sat quietly. He wished he could be angry with Hera, but he found himself overwhelmed by a different thought. Cronus had been right. He had known that his children would become just as corrupted as their parents. I am going to have to release father. You cannot! He would destroy us all! You did not speak to him. He is no threat. A broken and bitter god living out his days without light or hope. Freedom would be a blessing, but I doubt he'd take much joy in it. You never knew what it was like to grow up inside his belly. The burning, choking, suffocating dark. The one who tortured your own siblings that way. You would see him set free. Shall you blame me again for trusting you? Assigning blame. My husband, we are at a standstill. My betrayal 
matches yours. At that moment, the doors to their palace flung open and a tall figure strode into the chamber. Her bronze helm shone upon her head like the chariot of Helios, and her sword was slick with gore. Her spare hand was clenched in a fist, blood coating the bare arm up to her elbow. Zeus searched her expression for resentment or fury and found none. Her face was dutiful and stoic, the look of someone who only spoke when they had something to say. Welcome! Is this... Yes. Welcome, daughter. My heart warms to see your return. What news do you bring? Athena. Athena! What news? Athena's expression fell. She dropped her sword to the floor and swept her helm from her forehead. In three quick strides, she was at her father's side. She held out her red fist, tilted downward in offering. Zeus held his hand beneath it. She dropped a small, bloody heart into his palm. It was the still-beating heart of Zagreus, all that was left of Zeus's son. Cronus looked far worse than Zeus remembered. The figure that stepped out from the cell in Tartarus was pale and sallow, his cheeks hollow and eyes haunted. His loose skin had receded a little during his time below the earth, but his frame was still stretched and warped unnaturally. When he saw Zeus, he grinned, showing a row of jagged yellow teeth. I was right then. I am here to honor our bargain, nothing more. Where is my kingdom to be, my son? I long to feel the air upon my face again. Oh, you're not going back to the surface. You're staying in the underworld. What? You were only partly right, father. Hera wished harm on the child, but never hurt it herself. Don't dabble in trickery, boy. You do not have the practice. Relax, father. I'm sending you to the fields of Elysium. It's a much better prison, but a prison all the same. The last Zeus saw of his father was a pair of smoldering eyes disappearing into the hallways of the underworld, en route to his new domain. The story that Athena told of Zagreus's fate still haunted Zeus's dreams. The thought of his child being dismembered and eaten by the Titans made his stomach turn over in horror. But with the saving of Zagreus's heart came a grain of hope that his child was not lost. Zeus eventually found a place for Zagreus's heart. When visiting a temple, he seduced a priestess named Semele. He swallowed the heart and then impregnated the priestess. Soon, Zagreus was reborn, now known as Dionysus. In the ages that followed, Zeus found himself growing to fear Hera. Her jealousy and vindictive nature clashed with his unwavering desire. And yet, this passionate loathing only made her more attractive to him. It was the danger that he thought Metis was missing. The story of Zagreus is a relatively obscure myth in Greek canon. 
Zagreus was a central deity of Orphism, a religious sect in ancient and Hellenistic Greece. He's sometimes the son of Zeus and Persephone, and sometimes the son of Gaia herself, or Hades. But in the most popular part of this myth, called the Speragamos, Hera gives up his location to a group of titans who dismember the child and devour him. Another less well-known aspect of mythology touched on in today's episode is the release of Cronus from Tartarus, a story referenced by the ancient poet Pindar. Cronus is left in the fields of Elysium, where he cannot harm anyone, but is given a reprieve from the cruelty of Tartarus. Pindar was the only poet who did not have Cronus languish in Tartarus for eternity. The reign of the Olympians, unlike the Titans before them, did not have an end. Their pantheon was adopted by the Roman Empire, and the gods were renamed rather than supplanted by their own children. If legends of a fall of Olympus exist, they've been lost to time. But in a sense, Zeus's fear about Metis's children came true. The Olympian pantheon collapsed, not because of other gods coming to take their place, but by logic, reason, and science making mythology obsolete. When we know that lightning is an electric discharge in the upper atmosphere rather than a god hurling bright spears, Zeus loses his power. The city named after his daughter, Athens, is often seen as the birthplace of democracy, a metropolis where modern ideas of philosophy and the arts flourished, challenging old-world ways of thinking and making the world a far less superstitious place. So from a certain point of view, the goddess of wisdom did bring about Zeus's downfall after all. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythology was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Bill Butts, and Rebecca Thomas. I'm Vanessa Richardson.